So we're continuing our great journey here in James. Have you all been loving this walk through James? Yeah, it's been a real blessing. And you remember the the core uh, teaching of this is James wrote this book. It's the first book of the New Testament. And it was a call for all Christians to examine themselves to see if they're truly in the faith. So as we've been going through all these teachings, hopefully you've been examining yourself to see if you're truly in the faith or not. But I think also, Pastor Tyler and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago, we've been loving it as the pastors here of the Oasis because it has been deepening our sanctification. Are you with me on this? Yeah, I would say that I did count it all joy, the trials that God brought into my life, but now there's a deeper call to enjoy the trials in my life. I've been, over, been able to overcome temptation in my life, but there's a deeper call to overcome more temptation in my life. And on and on as we go through all those teachings that we've been through. It's this, this idea of examining ourselves, but hopefully even if you are sitting here and you go, you know what, I've passed the test, I'm born again, it should be deepening all of our faith and our commitment to living this righteous life that God calls us to. So today we get, we're almost done, by the way, we've only got a few weeks left. Uh, today we're getting into this, uh, this next one here on the list, which is uh, James 5, 1 through 6, which is saving faith in our treasures. Saving faith in our treasures. And I guess I would put it this way, saving, I think I put it in the bulletin, saving faith in our love for money. Our love for money. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. You know, money is one of the great deceivers. It's talked about. Uh, money, by the, by the way, is talked about in the Bible second only to love. So, so money can be a great deceiver in our lives. And by the way, as we go through this, I don't care, as Ralph uh, mentioned earlier, I don't care if you're making $10 an hour or a million dollars a year. It doesn't matter. Money has this temptation, this power to lead us astray from our walk with God. So that's we're going to talk about. What, what are some of the things that... Now, you can get answer me. This isn't a rhetorical question. This is, what are some of the things that money promises us? Happiness. Yes, money promises happiness. What else? Security. Yes. Freedom. That's one that I thought of too. Freedom. What else? Peace. Yeah, money's going to bring us peace. Money's going to bring us happiness. Uh, freedom. Security. Power, influence, too. What else? Anybody else? Love. Money's going to bring us love. So what's so powerful about money that we're going to be talking about today is it can come at us in a lot of different ways and promise us a lot of different things. It has a lot of ways to lead us astray from God. And that's why it's so powerful. That's why it's talked about so much in the Bible. And, and we also know that, that money, even if we, don't, we say we don't love money, Maybe there's another idol in our life that has control over us. And what is a trigger that gets us to go, go pursue that, that idol of ours? Money in our pocket. Right? Anybody been there? You were doing fine. Amen, brother. We were resisting the devil, and all of a sudden we got our paycheck. We cashed our check. We put some money in our pocket. What's that money screaming? Go get it. Go get it. Burning a hole in our pocket. Let's go get that. So money also has the power to, to pull us back into sinful patterns of our life unrelated to the direct love of money. So I am thankful in God's sovereignty that I get to talk about this because money, uh, God has revealed a great deal to me about the deception of money in my own life. So I'm, you know, Tyler and I didn't, we're just kind of working through this and so God's sovereignty, I get to talk about this with you. I've shared this with you, many of my 
faithful ways of family here, but money got a hold of me at a young age. I grew up in a broken home. Uh, my mom and dad were divorced at age five, had an older sis, two older sisters, an older brother. And so I lived in a level of poverty. That's what we grew up in. And there was times where mom couldn't put food on the table, that kind of thing. Anybody can relate to that. But I can remember that when money got a hold of me was, is when my mom was crying, which she didn't typically do because she couldn't feed us kids, and we start weeping again. <laughs> but the reality is what Satan planted in my heart at, at about the age of five or six years old is that if a family had enough money, they would have a happy home. I didn't pursue money for things, for power, for possessions. He knew how to get to my heart. My heart was if he had enough money, you'd have a happy home. Mom wouldn't be crying. You'd have a happy wife and happy kids. So I pursued that until I was uh, 32 years old. I believed that lie. But the reality is, is I, my testimony is I had to reach the top to reach the bottom. It was only after I had the money and the things that God revealed to me. He, but he basically whispered in my ear, the day I was saved, how's that working out for you? And the reality is I was a terrible husband, a terrible father, and I, lived, I also lived in a broken home, even though we all lived under one roof, but I believed the lie and the deception of money. And that's what God used to save me. But that journey continued as far as God teaching me and money. I went into a, a marketplace ministry for 15 years, and I got the pleasure of working with a lot of wealthy Christian business owners, which I was one of, but we would try to get into these Christian business owners' places of work and disciple them and help them to more effectively use their business as a platform for Christ. But to kind of two, I'll give you two extremes of the kind of Christian business owners I met. One group loved money. They didn't admit that. They said they loved God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But as you examine their life, they truly loved money more than they loved God. It occupied their life. It occupied, they would talk a good game. But if you looked at their financials, if you looked at their checking account, if you looked where their money was going, you would realize they really love money more than they love God. In fact, they trusted money. They had more faith in money than they did in God. But praise God, the other side, the other extreme were Christian business owners that were wealthy that understood that. They did truly love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They had drawn a line in the sand of how much money they needed to provide for their family. And everything above that they gave to the kingdom. They drew the line. And these are guys that gave millions and millions of dollars to the kingdom of God. And some of those brothers still support this work right here, 30 years later. But those are the kind of guys that truly love God and understand that money is not good or evil. It is a tool to be used and to be submitted to the authority of God. Okay. That had nothing to do with the sermon, but I needed to share my testimony a little with you guys. So we're going we're to set the stage a little bit more here. I want to set the stage about money, and then we'll get into the text. The text is straightforward, so just bear with me. I want to show you a couple truths that I want to try to get into your souls about money that can change your life. Are you with me on this? Okay. Look up here for a second. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12. It says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power. And the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Don't miss that. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. What does that mean? God owns everything. 
you got to get that in your soul. God owns everything. We can tend to think, oh, I, I own the clothes on my back. I own the cell phone in my pocket. I own the car I drive. I own the house I live in. I own this and this and that. We don't own anything. We are only temporary stewards of what God has entrusted us with. Now, you guys know this in your hearts already because how did you come into this world? And how are you leaving? Are you taking anything with you? You got a special kind of U-Haul that will fly with you to heaven? We, we came here with nothing. We will leave with nothing. So the question God's going to ask each one of us is what kind of stewards were you with everything that I own? I own everything, not you. And on the day of judgment, you will give account for what you did with what I gave you. You good with that? So we own nothing. He owns everything. Let's continue here. It says, uh, yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. Do you see that? Where does wealth come from? God. God determines the amount of wealth each person will have. Now, don't get me wrong. We have responsibilities. You can't say God wants to make me wealthy and sit around watching TV and eating Doritos all day. Amen to that? So, so we have a responsibility in this, but God has given us, and I'll get to it in a minute, but he's given us abilities, and he has determined how much wealth each one of us can make. Are you good with that? And why that's important is that we should not be coveting, we should not be jealous, we should not be envious if someone has more than we do. And, you're, and, and you want the government to come in and make everything equal. We should all have the same amount of money, we should all have the same things. That's not how God designed it. In the Bible, you will find many people that God made very wealthy. Abraham, David, King Solomon, on and on the list goes. Because he chooses some to give a lot of wealth and some to give a little. And can we be at peace with whatever God gives us? That's the question. Because he is the one that owns everything. He is the one that determines how much wealth each of us gets. And he says, you are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Okay, let's go through a few more truths. You all right still? So here, look at this one, Deuteronomy 8.18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. He gives each of us a set of skills and abilities that will allow us to, to make the wealth that, that he has ordained from heaven. Are you with me on that? He ordained. So I don't care what you do, if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a, a mechanic, a, a whatever it is you do, he will determine how gifted you are with those skill sets, which will determine how much wealth you can produce in this fallen world. You good with that? And another truth here, look at this Proverbs. This is from King Solomon. He says, oh, excuse me a second. Both songs got me weeping and how my nose is running. But the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil in it. So what I want you to see too is that wealth can be a blessing and it can be a curse. Okay? It can be a blessing, but it can also be a curse. And we'll get into both of those uh, in, as we go through this this morning. Look at this text. I love this. This is King Solomon, the wealthiest man that ever lived. And you remember this? He's getting ready to take over the kingdom from David. And God says to him, tell me one thing you want paraphrasing. Tell me one thing you want, King Solomon, as you're ready to take over the kingdom of Israel. And listen to this, how God responds. And so God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, 
nor have asked for the death of your enemies. But what did he ask for? Discernment and administering justice within the kingdom of God. He desired to have wisdom to lead the people and to lead the people into a God-honoring and glorifying life. That was the desire of his heart. But look what God says. So that there will never, uh, there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be anyone like you. Isn't that amazing? There was never anyone like King Solomon in God's creation. Moreover, he says, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my degrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. So why did God give him wealth and honor? Because his deepest desire was to bring glory and honor to God. He didn't ask for it. He, his, the desire of his heart was revealed in that he wanted to rule wisely and bring glory and honor to God in the kingdom. Where, what's a verse that comes to mind? But Matthew 6, 33. But... Very good. I was the little scripture choir there. I like that. That's Matthew 6, 33. It's a verse we should all memorize. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So that was King Solomon. So God did give him wealth. It caused, by the way, it caused Solomon a lot of problems, which we're going to look at today. So, so what I want you to see, God owns everything. He gives wealth to each one of us as he predetermines based on the abilities he's given us. Are you with me on that? So I guess the next question we would want to ask is, why does he give us wealth? What does he want us to do with wealth? Are you with me on that one? What does he want us to do with wealth? Share it? Okay, let me give you a little list here. Okay, good. Good, Steamer. I like that. That's true. We're going to get to that one. So one of the things he tells us to do with wealth, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So one of the things he commands us to do with whatever wealth he's given each one of us is we're to provide for our own families. In fact, he makes it so severe, he says, if you don't provide for your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Second thing on this First Corinthians is on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he, as he may prosper so that there will be collecting when I come and when I arrive, I will send those whom you credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. All that says... The second reason he gives us wealth is he wants us to give to the church. He wants us to give to the church. The, the, the creation of God is the church. The supernatural creation of the, of the church. Is, is, so we're supposed to be giving to the church. And a lot of you do that faithfully, and I praise God for that. Then there's the third thing. Not just the church, but he says, but if anyone has the world's good and sees a brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love abide in him. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So a third thing God wants us to do with the wealth he gives us is to provide for our brothers and sisters. He's talking about the body of Christ still here for those that are in need. And we do that many ways, right? There's many ministries out there that we can support in addition to our church to help provide for those in need. Samaritan's Purse and Ralph supports Africa. There's lots of places that God... uh, I know that Don was involved in India. There's just different places that God can lead us to help work with others in need throughout the world uh, with the wealth he's given us. 
Let me just say this, by the way. The poorest American is one of the wealthiest people in the entire world. So I don't care where you're at wealth-wise. If you compare yourself economically to the rest of the world, you will find out the poorest American is one of the wealthiest people in the entire world. You, you think, well, all I can give is a dollar. What good is that? Well, it's not a lot here, but it's a lot in other places. So it's, it's the widow's mites. So if you can send a dollar to some place that God burns your heart, you send a dollar. I guess this is our annual tithing sermon, by the way. I need my green money suit, though. I got my pink tie on instead. So then Second Corinthians said, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountiful will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he or she has decided in their hearts, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now this scripture has been misapplied by some prosperity preachers, so let me kind of straighten that out a little bit with you. This doesn't mean that if I give generously, God's going to give me a bunch of more money. <laughs> if I give one gold coin, God's going to give me a bucket of gold coins. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about this, is that as we just live a generous life. By the way, I will tell you this, that as we are faithful and generous people, then God knows he can entrust us with more, and he will quite often give us more to manage in the kingdom. So you put it this way, you're kind of like all financial investors, and so God gives you $10, kind of the story of the talents, which I have at the, at the last scripture in your bulletin today. He gives us $10, and we did a good job with it. We invested it well in the kingdom of God. He says, okay, you know, you did good with that 10 I'm going to give you 20 So he will give more for those that are faithful in investing, but that's not what this verse is talking about. For those that are, that are faithful and generous, God is generous back, but he's generous with things much bigger than money. He fills us with supernatural love, joy, and peace. He gives us significance in our life. He, he leads us into this victorious life. We, we have this in, incredible intimacy with God as he's using us to meet the needs of this fallen world and the people of God. Can you picture that? It's much bigger and better than money. So that's what he talks about. He, he, he will, for those that are faithful and generous, God is generous back to us. He will begin to lead you into a deeper intimate life and fill you with the supernatural love, joy, and peace of God. It's amazing. But he loves a cheerful giver. Do you see that? Are you a cheerful giver? Are you a reluctant giver? I, here's the thing that will help you. This is, this is the truth that can change your life. Is As you're getting ready to give to the church, whatever it is, stop. Praise God for his abundant life he's given you. Praise God that he's given you enough to give something to the church. Thank him for all the ways he's ministering to you in your life, the way God has saved you, as we sang today, from the pit of hell. Re don't just write a check and throw it into the offering, or don't put your money in the... Take time to praise God for what he's given you and what he's done in your life. Because that money isn't for the Oasis Church. It's, it's money going to God's work in the kingdom of God. So that's how you get a cheerful heart, is just spend some time to reflect on how, many, how much God has blessed you. Okay, so what's the problem with money? Now we have all the good stuff about it. Let's talk about the problem with money. Here's what happens to a lot of people. I already mentioned it. Is that in here? Okay, we're not talking about that yet. I got more to talk about the good of money. 
Look at this verse here. I love this verse. It's a verse that changed my life. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Who Look at this. Who richly provides us everything to enjoy. And why this is so good is that another blessing of God's money is some people t- teach us that we have to live in complete poverty and give everything to the kingdom of God and never rejoice in, in the blessings of God. God wants us to have a bountiful life. He wants us to enjoy a good meal. I mean, the Bible's full of feasts. To enjoy a good meal, to enjoy a good turtle Sunday. I should get an amen on turtle Sunday. Amen. So, and he wants us to enjoy a vacation now and then. He, he doesn't mind if we buy a, a new pair of shoes or some clothing and we rejoice. And, but in all that, we're praising God. Amen? That God's providing us. It's his money. It's his resources. And we're praising God. But he wants us to enjoy a bountiful life. There's nothing wrong. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. So, but what is it, what's the challenge? Is to live in balance. It is, so, the money itself and the pleasures of the world don't become a God for us. Okay, let's get, now we're ready for the... Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And this is when someone crosses the line. It's when they begin to put their trust in money over God. Their faith in money over God. See, it says to serve money. How does someone serve money? They serve money because it becomes the priority of their life. Yeah, you, you... you work overtime. You get a second job. You, you're always chasing money. It's it's so important to you. And and you know when you have a time to be generous with someone in need, you're like, ah, you know, don't think I, you know, I don't feel free to do that right now. I, I think I might need this later for myself. It becomes a god in your life, and you're putting money over God. In fact, your trust goes into money over God, and you begin to serve it. Money is a is a tool in God's kingdom that has to submit to the authority of God and His will in your life. How about this? Do not lay up treasures for yourselves, treasures on earth. I, I believe, by the way, this is, I'm sure, the teaching that James, that we're going to get to our verse for today, this is the teaching that, that James is referring back to because it's very similar to what he says. But Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Brothers and sisters, you can spend your whole life pursuing the temporal treasures of the world. And what does he say? They're temporal, they're temporary, they don't last. Now, what's the other thing that's temporary? We are. Our time on earth is temporary. And I can tell you, a rich man laying in his deathbed is not saying, I wish I would have made a little more money. Right? What, what do you think the biggest regrets of Christians are when they lay on their deathbed? Yeah, one more time. <laughs> well, that's truthful, Steve. He says they're praying they wish they had a little more time. <laughs> King Hezekiah. But 15 more years didn't turn out good. So, no, but the reality is we, we, we would all pray, I would pray it too, is I, I wish I would have been more faithful. 
You know, I wish I would have made that one more divine appointment. I wish I would have given one more dollar away. I think of Schindler's List. Have anybody seen that movie? At the end, I could have given this, I could have given that. I think we all have that kind of regret at the end. And Jesus says, why are you spending all your time on the temporal things that, first of all, you're going to leave behind, you're going to go to somebody else. And yet you have this eternal life where we can send treasures up ahead, right? That's where we should be investing our time. We'll talk about that too, about this eternal uh, treasure. But just think about this. I mean, if... If you find a brother or sister that needs food or clothing and you give to them, that's an eternal investment. That, that will be credited to you in your heavenly 401k, right? If, uh, if we help someone here get their GUD, if we help someone here get their driver's license, if we help someone get a vehicle, if we help people get restored back into life, if we provide safe housing to those in need, if we, if we do all these things as a church, those are all eternal investments. Those go to our 401k in heaven. When you give to this church, you're giving to the 401k in heaven. And trust the leadership to use it wisely, but it's beyond your responsibility at that point. We'll be held account for it, how we use the resources to invest in the kingdom. All right, go on. Let's keep going here. Look at this one. We all know this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. People say money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money that is, because money's uh, innocent. It's a, it's a thing but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's a problem in our hearts where we're, we're loving money. And here's a sad reality, as it says here, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And I, as I mentioned in my opening testimony, I saw many men who I believe were born again that were led away by the deceptions of money. And I can assure you on their deathbed, they had regrets upon regrets as they wandered away from the faith. Look at this here. This is the text for this morning, James 5, 1 through 6. Don't worry, I know I went through a lot, but it won't be as long to go through this. I'm going to ask our brother uh, Charles to open the word for us today. You can open your Bibles or your bulletin uh, to James 5, 1 through 6. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chuck. Appreciate that. James kind of brings us to us. This is kind of rated R, isn't it? He brings it to us pretty hard, but we can take it. So let's just work through this. It won't take us that long because it's pretty self-explanatory. 
But he says, come now. That would mean listen up, pay attention, examine your hearts. I have something very important to tell you that I want you to, to listen to. That's what it means by come now. And he says, you rich, you rich. He says, weep and howl. Now, this weep and howl is the same term that's used for a, a, someone weeping at a funeral. It's this immense brokenness of the soul. They're weeping and howling in pain and agony. But what's he talking about here? He, he says, come now, you should be weeping and howling over the conviction of your sinfulness. Do you see that? And basically what he's saying, if you knew what you were doing and the eternal consequences, you would be weeping and howling. You'd be broken. And it would lead you to repentance, which is what James and the Bible always are looking for. They want to lead someone to, to repentance. To give you a picture of this, what he's talking about, this this judgment that they're going to face. There's a beautiful uh, teaching here from Jesus. It says, there was a rich man who, who was dressed in purple and fine linen. We're going to get to nice clothing. This guy had some nice duds on. Uh, purple and fine linen. He lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. You picture that? Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham. Now we should normally break out in the song right here. Father Abraham. Father, okay, maybe you don't know that one. It says, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is in comfort here and you are in agony. So that's the picture of what he's trying to paint to these rich guys is is this is this is your, this is your destination right now? You're not saved, and you think you're you're living a wonderful life right now in this luxury, but in your fine clothing and your your indulgence. And he says, "There's a day coming, uh, unless you repent, that you will be in eternal damnation." See, on earth, every people they're, they're, they worship those that are wealthy, and they live in luxury, and people start to believe those lies and. They set themselves up with their own gods, and, and James is saying there's a day of judgment coming. And that's what he's saying here. Come now, you rich, and weep and howl, repent. And now he goes over, in the text here, he goes over four evidences of someone that's living this life. We're going to touch on each one of those briefly. First one here is, the, is one of the indications that you have a love of money is hoarding. Hoarding. Do you hoard things? And here we see, there, and by the way, there's in, in, in the day of, of, of Jesus, the, the rich people, they couldn't buy new cars and new cell phones and new gadgets and new TVs. The three things that would indicate wealth would be food, clothing, and then gold and silver. They'd have some coins or jewelry. So that's how you would exhibit wealth, not by someone driving a Rolls Royce down the middle of Jerusalem. Um, so... And also, you know, if you had, if you were agriculture, you'd have lots of sheep and cattle, you'd have big herds too. But this is, these are the three, three things he points out though. So he says, your riches have rotted, your riches have rotted. So one of the things this, this man was doing is he was storing up a lot of food. food. So as he went to the market, he had a lot of money in his pocket. So one of the ways he could show everybody he's wealthy is he would just buy all the food he saw. He'd buy the nicest prime rib and, you know, 
sourdough bread loaves and the fine grapes and olive oil and wine. And he, he just bought the finest of all these foods. And he, he had so much money, he just kept buying all of it and bringing it back home. But what was happening? It was rotting. Food rots. So he, he was living in such abundance that he didn't care. He just kept buying things even though it was rotting. Now, the second way you could show your wealth is through clothing here. And it says what? Your garments are what? Moth-eaten. Now, to give you a picture, most Jewish people had one outer coat, one outer cloak. That's what they had. And, and that coat not only served to keep them warm in the cold, it served as their blanket when they went to bed at night. So this coat was with them all the time. But as these people got wealthy, they would buy the finest purple linens, as we saw in the story Jesus told. They'd buy the finest materials and have tailor-made robes and coats embroidered with bright colors and deep designs. Kind of like Joseph and, the, and his coat, right, that we know about. So they would buy all these coats. And by the way, they were, they were very valuable, so they had them all, all these coats in their closet. But what was happening? Moths were getting in and eating them. They didn't have windows. So moths were getting in, planting their larvae on them, or eating all these fine clothing. And the last one is gold and silver. And it says that the gold and silver have corroded. Have corroded. And a couple different interpretations. Some believe that at that time their gold and silver was mixed with other metals. And where did, by the way, where did rich Jewish people store their treasures? In the ground. Who said that? Jimmy did. They stored it in the ground. So you take all this gold and silver, you put it in a bag, and you find a secret place in your backyard to bury it, but all the water's getting in there, and the stuff is rusting and corroding and becoming worthless. And what does he say here? He says, I love this. He's, he's still talking about that day of judgment. He says, their corrosion, their rust, will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. So he's basically saying the day of judgment, all this hoarding will come into account, and you'll have to give an account for all this stuff you've been storing away that's been rotting, being eaten by moths and rusting. And by the way, it says, you have laid up treasures in the last days. Do you see that? What are the last days? Now. Thank you, Bobby. Yeah, the last days are from the first coming and the second coming of Christ. So they were living in the last days, and we are living in the last days. So he's hoarding... And he's, he's being warned again. He's trying to be, you know, James is always interested in repentance. See these sins and repent. So I guess the question for application for us is, are you hoarding? Are you hoarding? I would say that, in honesty, we probably all hoard something. Right? And we justify it, though, right? We justify it. That's not hoarding. I need that. I need that. I need those 500 screwdrivers. You never know. I need those 8 million books. You never know when I'm going to need one of those books off my shelf. I need 50 pair of shoes. Come on, that's not hoarding. We all hoard. But it's examining ourselves to see what God convicts us of and, and to clean it up, right? To clean it up. And especially in the United States of America, it's so easy to hoard. I talked to someone at the mission that used to work in the clothing area. They get so many clothing donations, they have to bail up all the clothes and send them over to foreign countries. Bail them, right? Bales of clothes. That's how many clothes. So much abundance. I'm guilty of hoarding. 
Mary tells me I'm not supposed to buy any more books. Okay, let's, let's look here. Here's a beautiful picture of hoarding that we already saw. Uh, I think Pastor Tyler talked about this last week. And he told him a peril, saying, the, man, the land of a rich man produced plentiful, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. By the way, just an interesting note here. I worked with some men in CBMC, and they were very wealthy men. And I said, well, I said so what is your business? He goes, this is early 90s. We're in the storage unit business. We can't build them fast enough. He goes, we build these storage units because people don't have a place to store them in their own house, and then they put this stuff in here and we never see them again. And then typically their loved ones have to come back and ask us to cut off the lock so we could see all the junk that these people had stored in these stores, which they paid 150 bucks a month for. So it's kind of the same thing. They build barns. I guess our garage isn't big enough, so we got to get these store units. And this guy was saying the same thing. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, the night your soul, this night your soul will be required of you, and the things you have prepared, I love this, whose will they be? Whose will they be? If you die today, I don't care what you own, whose will that be? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be somebody's. Some relative's going to come walking through your stuff and pick out what they want, but somebody's going to get it. I love that. So it's the one who lays up treasure for himself and, and not, is not rich toward God. So that's, that's the issue of hoarding. Let's go on to the second one, just a couple more. Look at this one. The second symptom of someone who loves money is that they'll steal for it. They'll steal. You see that? And not only that, this, this, this guy's stealing from the poor. He's stealing from his own employees. You steal. It says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvest have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So I want you to picture this with me. The, the, the Israel nation was an agricultural nation, and they had temp services. Ever hear of those? They called them day laborers back then. But what would happen in every town, every Jewish town, early in the morning, those that wanted to work would gather in the town center, and they would wait for the farmers to come into town, and they'd come in with their donkeys and their carts, and they would hire a number of the workers from this pool, and then they would promise them at the end of the day, this is what you will receive for a wage. And that's how they would do it. So that's what happened here. He, he comes to town. He hires these, these, these people to pay them the wage. And he takes them back to the, to the farm. Now, the Word of God specifically commanded that these workers must be paid by the end of every day before the sun went down. God's pretty smart, isn't he? He knows the sinfulness of our crazy minds. But these people were poor. So at the end of the day, they needed that wage because on the way home for their wage, that's what they would go buy food for their own families. They needed that wage. So that's why God said to the command, you must pay them the wage you promised them at the end of the day before the sundown. So that's why he's saying here, this guy was holding back wages. It sounds like he was giving them some of the wages, but not what he had promised. And, and James is saying here, and they're, they're crying out against you, that the lack of wages and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Do you see that? God gave you a command not to do that. You're breaking God's command. He hears them crying out, telling them you're stealing from them. Isn't it amazing God knows everything? He thought he was getting away with it. But God hears it. God saw it. And by the way, this term Lord of hosts, do you know what that means? That, that means 
He's the commander of the heavenly armies and the, and the earthly armies. All the armies of the world are under God's control. Do you really want to do this? Do you really want to pick a fight with God? Pay them what you owe them. So the second thing is we, we are tempted, we, we start to steal. And oh, how we justify it. They don't need it, I do. And the third symptom here, look at this one. You lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts as a day of slaughter. Third, the third symptom is just, just this overabundance of self-indulgence and extravagant lifestyle, right? Champagne and caviar. I just remember that show. I'm probably too old. Not, some of you don't know that. But, but just this incredible extravagant lifestyle, mansions and Rolls Royces and 100 cars and Diamonds and, and so this guy was just eating and drinking and wearing all his fine clothing that he bought, counting his gold and silver. You've got to picture him sitting at a table as he's, as he's stealing from his own employees. No self-control, no self-discipline, no self-denial. Whatever my eye wants, it will get. By the way, the Apostle Paul referred to these men as walking dead. They have everything in the world, but they're dead on the inside. And again, James, again, a threat of the day of judgment. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You are like the fattened calf prepared for the slaughterhouse. Your day is coming. You all doing okay still? Okay. Let's look at this. The one that lived in, I guess, the greatest extravagant lifestyle would be King Solomon. And here's what he says about his own life. I made great works. I built houses, not one, plural, and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them, all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools for which they would water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered my silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained with me. So not only was I the most wealthy man, I was the wisest man of Israel. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep it from them. Whatever I saw, I got. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Anything it wanted, it got to. For my heart, my heart found pleasure in my toil, all my toil. And this was the reward of all my toil. Sound like a good life? Look what he says in the next verse. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all the vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He's one at the end of his life saw the waste of storing up treasures in the world. In fact, the last verse in Ecclesiastes, if you know that, this is what how this is Solomon near the end of his life, and this is what he says: the end of the matter. All that has been heard, this is, by the way, this is Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. The end of the matter, all that has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He got it at the end. He says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's a summary of this teaching on James. Okay, one last one. You're doing great. Here's another symptom. So they're hoarding, they're stealing. They're living in incredible self-indulgence. And the fourth thing is they murder. So it's condemned. That means they passed a sentence. And they murdered. And what does it say this person was? 
righteous person. So here's what's going on. So these workers start grumbling and complaining. They go to the town court and say, listen, you know what? These guys are, this guy's stealing from us. He's not paying us our wages. And that's a big deal, even to the leadership of the town. So they call for a trial. And the wealthy man comes in, probably has false witnesses, and said, we didn't steal from them. They're guilty. And because of that, they're killed. So he had them murdered to protect his lies that he was stealing from his own employees. Can you picture that? You know, have you ever found that you entered into a simple behavior and you said, and then a year later you said, how did I get here? Right? Are you with me on this? I never thought I would get here. Has anybody else said that? I thought I'd never get here. I thought this would never lead me to this kind of a life. That's what this guy's saying. First he was hoarding, then he was stealing, then he was living this self and then to protect him, now he's in a tizzy, right? He's going to be killed if he doesn't lie and get these innocent men murdered. And then he has to live with that. Incredible. Where sin will lead us. That's why we must daily, hourly submit our lives to God. We must daily, hourly resist the devil so he will flee. We must daily, hourly draw near to God so he'll draw near to us. That's the only way. Okay, one more verse. You're doing so good. We'll close with this one. Command those who are rich in this present age, present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, our challenge is to to live this kind of a godly life. How are you doing with this self-examining truth? Are Are you a generous person? Are you pouring out God's resources into the kingdom of God? Are you living with fear and lack of faith where you trust money more than God? Are you hoarding? What is going on in your heart? How, how well are you doing in your 401k, your heavenly 401k? You, you and I don't know when we will face death and then face judgment. But we will have to give an account for everything God has entrusted in because it's all His. And I put it again, your bulletin is a story of the talents. It's a beautiful picture of that. And by the way, the one with the fewest talents did the poorest job for the kingdom of God. You know, one of the things that's a burden on my heart is, is sometimes I'm worried that I can be a stumbling block for all of you. Can I share this with you? Because I'm rich. So I think sometimes people come to this church and say, you know what? I don't need to give to this church. He's rich. He doesn't need it. I don't want to be a stumbling block. <laughs> he's, my, he's my biggest encourager. See, the, the, the reality is, is my wife and I are volunteers here. We don't take any income. We have full-time jobs. This is, how we, this is our personal ministry. This is how we serve the Lord. I don't take any money from this church. In fact, I give generously to this church, as God commands. But I don't want you to think you're ever putting money in the offering that goes to me or my family. 
This is not my church. I am a under-shepherd for a short season of time. Before you know it, someone else will be standing up here. And after them, someone else. So, don't ever let what God's given me stop you from giving what you need to give to God. Because I know I'll have to face the county, but so will you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your Thank you for your word. Thank you for these self-examining truths of James. I pray that we'd each take them to heart. I pray as we leave here each Sunday, we'd leave different than when we came. That you'd have your way with us. That you would guilt us. Holy Spirit, make us guilty of the sin in our life as though a speck in our own eye. That we would be convicted in what needs to change in our lives so that we'd become the men and women of God you want us to be. So on that day, that day that's so clearly talked about James, that we'd hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter my kingdom. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.